Welcome to the Second in Command podcast, produced by the COO Alliance and brought to you by its founder, Cameron Harold. In the Second in Command podcast, we talk to top COOs who share the insights, strategies, and tactics that made them the chief behind the chief. And now, here's your host, Cameron Harold. Dr. Joe Sausalito has become one of our nation's foremost online higher education experts. He's led a broad range of educational institutions, including a regionally accredited nonprofit university online, a regionally accredited for-profit university online, and a nationally accredited for-profit university, which is an online-offline hybrid, giving him a unique and effective breadth of knowledge in on-ground and online higher education administration. In today's ever-evolving and competitive online higher education landscape, this diversity of experience is necessary to successfully lead a university into the future. With nearly two decades of experience in higher education operations, Joe has led teams in marketing, enrollment, finance, financial aid, student services, student affairs, human resources, accreditation, Title IV compliance, business-to-business relationships, and product strategy for on-ground hybrid and online universities. Specifically, his extensive experience in scaling marketing and enrollment activities have driven the success of many of the institutions he's served. Joe received his EdD in organizational leadership from North Central University. He also holds an MS in organizational leadership, strategic human resources management from Regis University, and a BS in speech communications from the State University in North College at Oneonta. How do you say that? Oneonta? Oneonta. Oneonta. That is an impossible word. Joe, thank you for joining us on the Second Command podcast. No, no worries. And that, the first correction is that when you say my last name, you've got to say it with a little Italian panache. So it's a salustio. Oh, oh it isn't salustio, right? Salustio. Uh, salustio. But that's salustio. okay. You know, we'll, All right. we'll, we'll roll right through. Was, well, I, I actually have Sausalito on the brain, unfortunately. I'm going to be there in about a week with my girlfriend. But Salustio, mm-hmm. where is um, where's your background in Italy? Um, so my, my uh, family dates back to Rome and Pompeii. So there's a, um, when I went to visit it, uh, Italy not too long ago, there's a house of Salustio in, in, uh, in Pompeii. So awesome. yeah, the, all the roots are back there and, uh, and here I am. Great region. Mm-hmm. All right. Well, thank you for joining us. I really appreciate the time you're going to be able to share with us today. It's an honor. Can you tell us a little bit about the organization that you run right now? And, and I'm super interested um, just on the whole online university as well. So just tell us about the organization currently. Yeah. So Claremont Lincoln University is a nonprofit startup university. Uh, and starting a university is not easy, let me just say that. So we had a single donor, his name was David Lincoln. Uh, and along with our uh, first president, Dr. Jerry Campbell, they came up with the concept that a university, uh, universities or high, higher education in general, doesn't teach ethics, ethical decision making uh, in the way that it really needs to and, and grounded in the golden rule, you know, to treat others as you'd like to be treated. So with a sizable donation, uh, the university really started, and I'll save you all the, the gory details of, of getting through accreditation and, see, you know, there were some mergers and seating. Uh, but uh, as of 2014, we became a standalone institution. Uh, so we are, in, in, in the world of higher education, we are just this embryo that is just formed. You know, we don't have 150-year history. We've got a, a, a very less than 10-year history, uh, and we enroll leaders. So all of our programs are graduate programs, all master's degree programs, and we're focused on delivering education to socially conscious leaders. 
Um, uh, so we've actually gone and trademarked uh, socially conscious education. So we're, we're developing uh, the skills that people need for the 21st century. And uh, our core curriculum is called the Claremont Core, and it teaches four key skills, mindfulness, dialogue, collaboration, and change. So it's these human skills in an ever-evolving technological society that become so important, right? We have to build and maintain relationships as humans. Uh, and so we teach people how to, how to do that. And, uh, you know, we're a fully online institution. We've been uh, growing rapidly. Our enrollment over the last two years is up almost 700%. Uh, and, uh, yeah, we're, we're fast-growing thought leaders when it comes to leadership and ethical leadership. And, and uh, you know, it's been a, an amazing journey. How, how do you start a university? You got to have money. Um, and so the single donor, uh, David Lincoln, came in and he had uh, given a sizable amount of dollars. The way uh, U.S. accreditation generally, where you have to become accredited if you want to offer Title IV funding, which is financial aid. Right. So the government says, if you want to give a student financial aid, you have to become accredited. You have to have an oversight agency. Okay. Well, the oversight agency says you have to have graduates before we're willing to provide oversight. Well, you can't have graduates if nobody enrolls. And most people won't enroll if you don't have financial aid. So what you have to do is fully scholarship students for a period, probably two years or so, with those dollars that you've been donated to get the outcomes that you need to become accredited. So fully, fully scholarship, meaning you can come here, you can graduate from here, but we're, but you won't have any expenses. Your tuition's paid. A hundred percent. Yeah. hundred percent okay. scholarship, right? So okay. the risk you take as a student is this is an unaccredited college, uh, but you get a free education. And we, when we get accreditation, you'll be grandfathered in. And okay. your education then becomes accredited. So I'm kind of betting on you. I'm going to get my education for free. You're betting on me because if you get enough students and that's going to help you get your, your accreditation, Bob's your uncle, everybody wins. So that's the, that's how you yep. start it. Yep. And really similar to programs. Programs are the same way with a nursing program or any kind of program where there's, there's, a, a, there's an, a body that oversees the outcomes. They, they want to see the outcomes first before they're willing to give you their backing. So a lot of times it's a, it, it's a risk for the student. But that's, that's how you start a university. And to be honest, it's not easy. That's why there aren't a lot of new universities. Um, they're just old universities. And, uh, and when they do start, uh, a lot of times they're not in the nonprofit sector, they're in the for-profit sector. Right. And, uh, okay. And what's the difference then between a nonprofit university and a for-profit university? Why do we, why do we care? What's the difference? Oh boy. That is a, a can of worms right there. Um, because I'm, I'm Canadian, so I don't even understand that there were for-profit universities in the first place. And, and yeah. I, I've always seen the U.S. education system as a business, less of an education. It seems like it got out of control with tuitions, but yeah, that's a bias. That's a whole nother, that's a whole nother topic. But the, the, the easy way to understand it is that a nonprofit university, you're, you're uh, registered with the IRS as a, a 501c3, which means that you're, you're dollars go back into the university in terms of uh, investment or endowment, right? And so you're, you're uh, basically nonprofit. In a for-profit model, it's a tax status. So that you're, you're usually um, overseen by a board of directors and, the, and some of the profits are, are enriching or uh, uh, the owner is profiting from the business. So um, that's really the main difference. It's a tax status and both get financial aid. They're just different models. And uh, you know, that's been one of the big deals in the United States is the, for, the fall of the for-profit sector because of the amazing and, and unfair, uh, at times, regulatory oversight that they 
that they those institutions have seen. And I've worked in both nonprofit and for profit now, and they run pretty much the same. Um, try to get students. That's it. You know, you don't have students. You don't have a model. Nonprofit, mm-hmm. for profit mm-hmm. doesn't make a difference. So yeah, interesting. And now, if if I'm thinking about that, you know, you're not going to have that model. Does the model of the current education system even exist 20 years from now? Like, can mm-hmm. we, can these offline universities, especially now that they've been forced to go online and everybody's seen the opportunity to go online? I mean, both of my kids are doing online classes right now and my, my oldest isn't even going into second year university. Now he's going to do it online because the university's not taking kids back until second semester. Does the old world of universities even exist or is this giving you guys an injection? You know, um, anybody that thinks they can answer that question right now is, is full of it. Um, right. and, and, you know, I have, a, besides my work at Claremont Lincoln University, I also uh, host a podcast, uh, co-host a podcast called The Ed Up Experience. And we interview uh, presidents uh, and t- top higher ed leaders. And we ask the same question, which the, what's the future of higher education? And everybody gives an opinion. And, you know, mm. yesterday it meant something and today it changed. Um, and COVID-19 certainly... What COVID-19 has done is it has sped up a model, um, and not a model, it's sped up consequence. Um, online education was moving, uh, education was moving online anyway, uh, slowly. This has inject- fueled it. It's been a catalyst, right? The other thing it's done um, is it has really created a, um, a rock and a hard place, a double-edged sword, if you will. A lot of institutions are in, in financial trouble. They run with a sure. year or two of operating expense in total. Yeah. And now maybe 15 to 20 to 30 to 50 percent of your students are coming back to campus. And so you aren't going to get the level of revenue you need to 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 go to the next year. So do you have students back on campus because you have to financially to survive or do you follow the CDC guidelines and go online? This is the type of decision that we're seeing institutions have to make. And it is a tough on ethics. It's an ethical Oof, nightmare. And, uh, what do you do? And so we're seeing some schools um, accept students back. Uh, we're seeing some schools that have moved online now have to worry about online education. And it is not the same, my nope. friend, as is on-ground education. It's completely different. No, and I, I even want my son to get back to campus because he grew so much in first year just being around the other kids and socialization and, and working together and just, you know, without his parents having to make sure he's doing his homework or going to bed on time. He really grew yeah. up as an, as an adult. It was amazing to watch. And yeah, it, it isn't the same either. But, but at the same time, you know, we've now seen millions and millions and millions of kids who would have never wanted to do their university or take any courses online have now done it for the last four months. And they went, shit. If I can do it at a tenth of the cost, by the way, are you cheap? Are you cheaper than a normal, um, similar offline program? Yeah. So Claremont Lincoln University, our graduate degrees are eighteen thousand total, total cost. Okay. In the world of higher education in the United States, that is very economical. So our our mantra is affordable. Um, accessible, affordable, uh, life changing, and world changing. Right. So we were very careful not to saddle the student with so much debt that they can't do something with it. And these are working students. Our, our you know, 90% of our students are working. They're in a job. They're a VP of something. They're a director of something. Sure. They want to get the graduate degree to move up. We have to make it affordable for them to do so without them, you know, taking a hit. So, you know, U.S. Edu- US uh, higher education, the cost of tuitions have skyrocketed. And you've seen some institutions that you would recognize now that have gone fully online and have not reduced their cost. And so you might pay $50,000 a year to go 
online um, and you don't have dining halls, you don't have dorm rooms, you don't have the campus, uh, uh, you know, um, uh, amenities available, lazy rivers and that whole, you know, all the BS that comes with, uh, with some of the higher ed stuff and you still have to pay that amount, it doesn't make sense. The, the idea of online education is that the savings should be passed on to the consumer and the consumer is the student, the customer. Yeah, I think we're going to definitely see some shifts there just because of the basic supply demand and, and the basic economics and then just the opportunity to, to actually change that business. You guys are really in an interesting time for sure. Yeah, it's, it's tough. And, and you know, what's fascinating is this affects uh, so many leaders. I mean, you talk about the people you've had on this podcast, CEOs and yeah, they've got kids and they've got kids either, you know, like me, I have some kids that are in grade school and it's the, oh, man, how do you take a five-year-old and put them in online education? It's very hard to understand that. A lot easier for an adult, but when you're paying, you know, there, there is something to the college experience. As an online educator, I fully get that. I went to school, my undergraduate was fully you know, on ground. I had a, let's just say I had a complete undergraduate experience. Right, exactly the same. Yeah, uh, and but I did my master's online and I did my doctorate online fully because I had oh, work. Interesting. Yeah, right? interesting. So it's uh, so, but there is still that as a dad, as a as a mom, you still want your kid to have that level of experience, but it may not exist anymore. Yes. Yeah. See, when I when I went to university, we didn't have the opportunity for online because we didn't have online. Um, we, right. I, I I got a typewriter as my high school graduation gift from my parents, and when I graduated university, they were just starting to have computers in the residences but no one right. no one in residence had one i would i graduated in 88 so yeah the, the opportunity for an online education didn't exist but i think now it's just become pretty obvious that it has to go that way i mean you just can't the the business of it doesn't actually work the economics don't work anymore the roi right. my son's education in canada is fifty two hundred dollars a year is his tuition for his bachelor's degree yep canadian education is a lot different at a really good university is that University of Victoria is a great school. Yeah. All right. So switching off of like the economics of the business, how do you turn then from you've raised money, you've got your sanctioning, you're getting things started. How did, how did the business get up and running? How do you start attracting those first students? What are you selling them on? And then how are you continuing today? Well, first you're selling them on a free education to get the outcomes, right? So um, what you do in that respect is you have to you have to create the educational infrastructure. So you've invested a lot in faculty, you've a lot in, uh, invested a lot in instruction, in curriculum design, because you, that's how the accreditor is going to review you, right? They're going to say, are your outcomes quality before we're willing to uh, uh, say that we're behind you? We want to see these quality outcomes. Um, then when you get government funding, when you actually become accredited and you're able to offer, offer Title IV funding, you want to grow and you want to grow quickly because you now need revenue, right? You have a lot of expense uh, and you have, because you're paying instructors and you're not collecting any revenue and now you have Title IV funding and the government says, U.S. government says, we're going we're gonna to give you the money to, to borrow so that students can borrow. So now you have to grow it. But that shift from an academic model to now growth is totally different, right? So you need a completely different infrastructure. And that's where I really came in, Claremont Lincoln University in January of, of 2018, uh, with a infrastructure that did not know how to scale. We had very hefty deliverables in terms of education, lots of faculty, lots of um, student service stuff, if you will, but nothing on the front end that said, okay, now we have to grow. So what do we do? Marketing, enrollment, uh, student service, financial aid, we have to create a brand new infrastructure to grow. 
Um, and, and that's what we've done in a very short period of time is grow uh, and scale quickly, but it's come with a mind shift, a cultural shift, hmm. uh, you know, because it's, it got comfortable. And think of it this way, you're paying a faculty member um, a, a dollar amount to teach five students, and now you want to pay them the same amount to teach 15, right, um, to teach 20. Sure. And so there's just lots of cultural things that come into play. And, and so how many, how many total employees are kind of within the university currently? Yeah, so In, we're small still. We have about 30, 30 full-time employees. 30 full-time employees from the, the teachers and marketing and sales side of the business. So it's still, so it's still a startup yep. business in a way. Yeah, and we're then, bootstrapped. And how many, how many students are going through it? Um, so in, 2000, in January of 2018, we started at 10 paying students. So there are a couple of students paying something. When I say paying something, I mean like, you know, a couple of dollars. Uh, but today we have over 260 uh, students um, and, and uh, we expect to be well uh, over 300, closer to 350 by the end of the year. Okay. So you're, now you're starting to turn on the marketing side of the business then. Are That's you, right. So were you marketing restrained before or production restrained in terms of having the teachers or the courses or was it funding? Uh, it, it was lack of knowledge. Um, it was, um, lack of knowledge and a lack of understanding that you had to, it, what to do with it. There were marketing dollars, but how we were marketing was very traditional, right? So you have, when you have, um, when you start a university and you bring in people, a lot of times you'll run traditionally. And so we were running, uh, we were doing a lot of marketing for, uh, you know, going to college fairs to try to get the 18, the 22 year old student who's just graduated bachelor's degree to go to a master's degree. That wasn't working. You're, when you're an online, you can scale. You can, you know, a pocket here. You know, we're a socially conscious university. That meant that we're really coastal. So let's look at New York. Let's look at Atlanta. Let's look where there's progressive thinking and, and market to those areas. And so we geofenced and we geotargeted and we looked at people who had been out of school for a couple of years that were a director that wanted to move up and LinkedIn did some LinkedIn targeting. And so we changed the entire model. In terms Interesting. Of it's funny. I was, I did recruiting years ago. I used to do a lot of recruiting off university campuses for a company called college pro painters. And I was recruiting at one in Olympia, Washington called evergreen state. And, uh, I was there and I asked the woman I was interviewing, you know, what are your grades like? She goes, I'm passing. I'm like, that's awesome. What are your grades like? She goes, I'm passing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to ask you a third time. No, she goes, oh, you don't know. This is a pass fail university. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's no grades. You either pass the course or you don't. I'm like, what? Um, But it was such a really, really interesting way to to get the kids engaged in learning is they weren't stressed about whether they got 84 or 92 or 76. It was just are they engaged in learning? Are they enjoying the course content? Are they working their best? Are they collaborating? I'm like, shit, that's a really interesting model. Well, and you know, a lot of schools uh, in the spring of last year when COVID really hit, moved to that pass-fail model because they couldn't, they couldn't move to <laughs> online quickly. So they had a yeah. pass-fail student. Yeah, interesting opportunities. Okay, so where are you now then with, your, with the marketing? If we talk about the marketing of students, what are you, what are you engaged in? Are you, and are you outsourcing some of that? You've got to be outsourcing. With, with that limited number of employees, you can't be building an in-house marketing team. Uh, but <laughs> it's a you? combination of both. Uh, so I've got two people and myself. Uh, we are the entirety of the marketing team internally. Um, uh, their names are Rena and Arbaz. And I am proud to say that in 2019, we won... Uh, the American Marketing Association Higher Education Team of the Year Award, um, which uh, beat out two universities that you may have heard of. One's called Stony Brook University. It's in New York and a second called the University of Notre Dame. Uh, So we were pretty proud of that. 
Amazing. Um, and, and so that's a team of three, a mighty team of three, we'll call it. And I'm like a half timer, right? Because I got <laughs> other stuff to do. So, yeah. uh, and then I outsource some. Uh, a colleague of mine, his name is Jay Casper. He does a lot of our our uh, uh, Google AdWords and search engine optimization, things of that nature. But between the between the four four of us or so, we're doing all of it. We're you know, look, it's a multi-layered media strategy. Social media, Google, and Bing, uh, AdWord uh, development, uh, and then organic, right? So we're building a lot of content. We're writing a lot of articles. We're doing a podcast internally at Claremont Lincoln University to create the organic reach. Uh, you, you know, here's the thing I would say about marketing, especially now. Uh, we are all at home, and so our screen time has gone up exponentially. Yep. Yep. I don't know about you. But I'll I'll be working and, and I'm I'm like oh let me check this you know golf game I was playing last night or let me check the news over here, so we just doubled tripled quadrupled our social media output right away the minute I heard work from home, my I, I said to our, the team double the post triple the post quadruple the post we want more content all the time so that when somebody thinks about going to college they see us first. Yeah, right? I, I think you guys have got a. Re I love the idea of a pure play online. Um, education and, and and I think you guys are at a really exciting stage where you are young and nimble and starting to scale at this time too. Where if you're a legacy company or a legacy institution, I, I mean, did I hear it right that Harvard is putting a lot of their courses online now for free? Well, you said it first, so so they they do have some courses online for free, but you still have to pay the fifty thousand dollars a year if you want to go to Harvard online. If you, if you want to get yeah. the educator, if you want to get the yeah, that's another whole twist as well as will, will there even be a challenge for credit? But, um, but I think if you're a legacy institution that's trying to convert people, I think they're going to have a tougher time than Sorry. you will of just being a pure online institution that's saying, hey, we've got this, it's good and it scales. And you know, you've got to know what your, your cost per acquisition is and what your value of the student is. So you, you can just start to dial that up as a marketing play, can't you? You got it right. That's it. You know, our cost per, per lead. Uh, or, or student inquiry, if you will, you know, the, the business, here's the fascinating part that there is a business part of higher education, but yeah. most of, most people in higher, higher ed are afraid to say it, right? Students, a customer, they're, you know, uh, cost per lead. Well, students aren't leads. Well, yes, they are. You want to get a student uh, yeah. cost per enrollment, cost per start. So your acquisition cost, if you don't know them, you can't scale. When your overhead is so much less than a traditional university that we know of with the bricks and mortar, because you don't have all the overhead. I think you're, I think it's a really exciting space to be in. It, it is very much so. What do you struggle at in terms of the size that you're at with the vision that you're going to? And, and when do you hit a, a break even point? Or I guess you're a nonprofit, but I mean, you still yeah, have to operate. Yeah, but there's a loss. Yeah. yeah you still have to operate within a budget. So, you know, yeah. when do you, do you hit a, a break even when? Yeah. So the, the main thing for us is capacity. Uh, we want to do X and we want to do Y, but we only have a, a number of, of people to do it. Um, and this is a, this is a great example, you know, as, as chief operating officer, you know, I've got responsibility basically for the financial performance of the institution, all the operational. And we started a, we started a podcast at our university and I'm producing it because I happen to know how to do that. And so I just sort of took that and, and now I'm <laughs> editing episodes of a podcast on the side. So it's, um, it's, it's a capacity issue for us, but our, you know, our, our, uh, David Lincoln gave us enough money to sustain ourselves for several years into the future so that we can climb out of the, the hole that we've in and scale the um, scale appropriately. And so we're looking at, you know, somewhere between 600 and a thousand students where we become, you know, Awful. that, uh, that uh, break even university and, and in fact create an endowment for ourselves. That's great. And uh, our accreditor has basically said, now you're on the right path to do it. And so we are, 
you know, we're growing, you know, when enrollment goes from about 10 students to 260 plus students in, in a two year period, that's pretty solid growth, even at that, those small numbers. Because, you know, it's not like we have an undergraduate population that just is naturally coming up through the pipeline. We're getting students who've been out of school for a period of time. So we're really marketing from scratch in their brain. Well, what's, what I love about it right now, though, for you as well, is if you think prior to March, you had to explain how this whole thing worked. And now yeah. it's just like people are like, oh, shit, online, of course you're online. Like, it's not even a question that this could be a model now. I think it's a really exciting time for you guys. I think, and I think yeah. you're, you're at your, infl- I think you're going to hit your 600 to 1000 next year faster than you think you'll hit. We, we, we hope so. And there's a difference between design for online like we are and taking something and moving it online. It's a completely right. different deal. Yeah, completely different. Yeah. Um, so what are you working on in terms of your skill set? How do you, because um, you came out of uh, bigger institutions or larger institutions and coming into this more of a startup. Yeah. You know, that's, that's been an interesting but welcome transition because mm-hmm. the uh, the institution I worked at previously, there were 40 locations across the United States. There's 260 recruiters or so. And then I came in at Claremont Lincoln University. We had two recruiters and, and no students. And so that's, uh, you know, it's a it's a different challenge because you learn the guts. Um, I'm going to use really technical words here, but you, you, uh, you learn the guts of the institution from the ground up. And I think that's, that's really important because it gives you an understanding. Uh, and Claremont Lincoln University is dear, dear to my heart because of the mission you know, to treat others as you want to be treated, to teach people how to operate in an ethical framework. I mean, has there ever been a greater need for that amongst leaders than there is today? Uh, So, you know, I I, I believe in it with my whole heart. You know, I've wanted to learn every single part of the business and it's given me a real opportunity to do that without having to go backwards in time, right? Sort of stepped in and just said, okay, what is this? Let's, Let's evolve this. And so, I've been able to execute that vision that the founders had to, to offer this education to students and have them go out and change the world. And let me tell you, there are some students that a lot of our students, they do a capstone project before they leave their, their degree, but a lot of them are doing amazing, amazing things. I mean, um, th- there's a, one guy I can think of right now. He's, he holds a health expo on Skid Row for the homeless every year. It's a massive expo with sponsors and, and they hand out kits for health and, and he is one of our graduates and, and the effect he's having uh, to, you know, on the homeless and to give them the supplies that they need is incredible. I've got a, an intro I'm going to make for your, you or wh- whoever is on the, the, I guess, the recruiting side of, of the university. Um, really close friends with the founder of a company called Y Scouts. And they're a culture-based, uh, they're on the board of Conscious Capitalism. Mm-hmm. Um, but they're a big recruiting firm that's always looking for senior season talent to bring into other firms. And I'm sure that they would love to take your, oh, yeah. um, your applicants and, and start placing them into companies. Um, or they'll just start poaching them anyway, but I'll do an intro. So that Please. you guys can at least, Well, at least and you know, one of the, I, I want to do say one of the most um, important things I want to say about Claremont Lincoln University is that we can customize, right? So that's one of the big things that's given us an advantage right now in the marketplace is, um, you know, we offer a, a non-credit certificate. You know, think about an organization that wants to train their employees. This is, for, this is not just higher education talk. This is COO talk. You, you need to train your employees. And right now, you need to train them on diversity and inclusion. You need to train them on the state of, of society right now and provide, provide that training so that we're all, you know, aware of, of the decisions that we make. Well, we have a non-credit certificate called Beyond Bias that teaches unconscious bias and hiring practices. It teaches you to be more aware. And we customize that curriculum. So an employer comes to us and says, look, 
we need to train our employees. We need two weeks of diversity and inclusion training. What do you have? We have it. We need six weeks of diversity inclusion training. We have it. We need women's empowerment training. We created that. We can deliver it in a two-week format, in a week format, in a, in a 10-week format. It doesn't matter. Interesting. I was curious about that. I, I was thinking about your sales team or the marketing team of like, well, if we had this, we could land these students. How many different programs or degrees do you have? So the degrees are different than the non-credit stuff. So we have, we have five master's degrees. Organizational okay. leadership. Uh, social impact, uh, human resources, healthcare, sustainability leadership. And we're very close, hopefully, to having a master's in public administration. On the, okay. on the non-credit side, we've got certificate-based uh, programming, women's empowerment, beyond bias. Uh, we have a, 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 a HR certification. And we've got stuff like that on the non-credit side. One in mindful leadership. Um, which teaches our, our core curriculum. So, and that's the kind of stuff that businesses need. They need short skills-based training to offer employees as professional development. So that's a space we play in as well. Interesting. So sadly, I just, just read that David Lincoln passed away two years ago. Yeah. Yeah. March of 2018, I think three months after I started. That sucks. Yeah. yeah it was so, sad. Yeah. It's sad to read that. So where were you in the, I guess, um, growth of the organization had you did you have students at that point no <laughs> we had so right when i started we we you know understand we had we had about 25 total students but only 10 were paying something right so um in april of 2018 we walked into at that time our largest incoming class of 26 students but you had so but you did have some there were some kids that were learning a couple as yeah. part of a when he passed away, there were at least somebody was there learning. Yep. Somebody was there learning and he knew we were walking into our biggest class ever of 26 students. And so he knew that before Great. he passed that we were growing. Um, now that 26 student class uh, is now um, we, we offer our start dates on a monthly basis. Yeah. So that 26 students was over a quarter and now we're starting um, somewhere between 30 and 50 students per month. A month. Yeah. No, just I'm glad that he actually, as a benefactor, got to see something. I remember when my mom passed away that she saw her three kids had all been married, had all bought her first house, and we each had our own had a child. Yeah, and then you know, and then she passed away like four months later. It was kind of like her job was done, right? Um, or that she could see that, and and I'm glad that I don't know why it touched me, but because I don't know the guy, but it just it touched knew, me. That I mean, he knew it was happening. He saw yeah. it building, and um, he I got to see him. I got to see him at his house a couple of weeks, two weeks before he passed. And I told him it's going to happen. Um, you get a big old smile on his face. So it's too, that's wonderful. So it's too hard for me to, to, to pay attention and listen to you and read his bio to know who the heck this guy was, but who, who, what, what was he, who, who was he to have money to donate, to start a university? What's his story? So his dad, uh, his father started Lincoln electric company. Um, which is a publicly traded uh, organization, and uh, David uh, took over. Um, you know, they made uh, lots and lots of money. Um, also, they they were one of the first organizations to really integrate human resources management into their operations. And when you read about the Lincoln Electric Company, and you see that you know it was about uh, creating uh, employee benefits and listening to employees and, and going through that. Uh, but they did very well, you know, publicly traded, as I said, and, and there are a lot of spinoffs for the, for the Lincoln family as well. Um, but yeah, very successful man, um, lived uh, extremely well-off man who lived very simply. Um, mm -hmm. He had, a, 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 I think, a Jeep 
it looked you could be anybody's jeep it's not like he was driving some uh, ferrari around in his house when i went into his house it was the it must have been the same as it was in 1970. i mean it looked like the original shag carpet the wood panels on the walls had right. not been updated he left it almost in its original state so he had you know really been a frugal man and donated so much money to causes that he believed in. Interesting. Why would he at his age, because he looks like he was probably about 80 when he passed away. Yeah. What was he thinking of, of starting an online business? Like how, how did he get exposed to that? You know, I our, our first president, uh, Dr. Jerry Campbell, they, um, the two of them became friends uh, and there was just discussion around ethics, right? And so David Lincoln said, good ethics is good business. And that became the framework. But okay, that's great. Good ethics is good business. But how do you teach someone to be ethical? And that's really what they wrestled with from a, a for, you know, conceptually is how do we teach ethics? How do we take somebody that, that doesn't understand it and teach them that this decision is, is, has implications? It's the how that they really wrestled with. That's the how they came up with the core curriculum. And that's what we teach today. And so what Makes we're putting sense. out graduates, they're going out there with the skills to make better decisions. So they started with the cause and they worked backwards from that. Is that what, what got you engaged in joining the university as well? Was the cause that you believed in? You know, I had been in higher ed for 15, 16 years and, uh, you know, really in, in, in situations where it, uh, it was uh, countrywide, I was national, I was traveling all over the place and I was just looking for, for somewhere that I really truly believed in. Not that I didn't believe in the organizations I worked for before, but you know, it, I just got older and I said, I, I really want to make a difference. And so this, this school, when you read about its mission, uh, Claremont Lincoln, and it's, it's about the golden rule and about ethical leadership and about socially conscious leaders and, and, and you know, diversity, inclusion, expansion, equity, and women's empowerment, all these issues. I thought that's somewhere where I can really walk away years from now and know that I made a complete difference. And so that was important for me at that time in my career. Still is. Interesting. And then in building out the, the university, building out the business, are you a pure online company or are you, are, are your employees remote or are you based in a, in a building in an office somewhere? Yeah. So we, one of the things David Lincoln said is he wanted us to have a place to call home. So we refurbed uh, and own a building in Claremont, California that we call home that all of us go into an office to, or at least used to go into the office every single day. Um, we, that building, we moved in December 23rd of 2019 and then we were on home quarantine in March. So we spent about two two months in that building and have been at work from home since. And do you think you'll go back to the building or do you think you'll transition to an online business? <laughs> we're, we're, we're all online anyway. We're 100% online university and so we our operations were not affected. Our students were not affected. We had zero interruptions. In fact, we've been busier than we ever have been. Uh, but you know, we, we are a small family uh, of employees and you know people still do do want to go back but you know the state of california is basically on lockdown still so you can't yeah. can't go anywhere yeah i spoke to the second in command for the aarp the american association of retired people a few weeks ago and they've got something like 2200 employees and he said within three days they went from all working from 11 offices to 100 percent online in three days yeah so it was extraordinary and there's going to be this huge shift for businesses moving to be pure online now as well where they just like you know what i'm just going to get rid of the overhead that's it right there's a lot of fixed costs uh that are involved in being somewhere physical and, and you eliminate those costs you know there's other consequences you know for us we were lucky that we had faculty that were um skilled in in uh self-care and mindfulness 
because there is that piece, right? You're working from home. You're working more than you ever have before. Uh, you, you probably not taking as many breaks. How do you take care of yourself? You have interruptions. You know, we have some employees, uh, moms who, who uh, are, are making dinner at the end of the day. It's like you never get a break. You can't even take the drive home for 10 minutes to, to reset your brain. It's one thing to the next. So that's an important part of working from home as well. That's interesting too. I hadn't thought about that. Actually, there is as much as I always hated the commute, there is something about the commute that allows you to ease into your day and ease out of your day versus just the, you know, roll out of bed and be on a Zoom call four minutes later. That's it. And if you're in Los Angeles, we're in, we're in LA County, your drive could be um, long. And so you have a yeah. lot of time to uh, listen to podcasts, listen to this podcast, listen to my podcast, you know, uh, turn on, uh, turn on the radio and employees are really moving from one thing to the next. And so that's been a really important focus for us internally is how sure. are the employees doing? Um, you know, and right now it might be, I, I, I don't know. I, that's a good question. What's going to happen? I don't know. January, maybe, you know, when there's a vaccine, we have a couple of employees that take public transportation that are freaked out. I mean, how do you say, you guys got to get back on the train and see you back in the office. How do you mandate something like that amidst this? It's just hard decision making. Yeah. I've got some companies that I coach right now that are dealing with that back East and they're really struggling with the whole forcing employees to come back and I'm like, I know. they just can't like they got to come back when they're ready. I know. So talk about, about the recruiting of faculty and, and how do you recruit and bring faculty into a startup environment, like into a, you know, where they're dedicating their time and their careers. How are you attracting those people? So um, in an online institution, the majority of faculty are going to be adjunct uh, which means they're not full-time, they're other contract okay. faculty. And so they pick up a class here, a class there. Uh, what's, what's been great about Claremont, you know, and that's for the majority of U.S. colleges will have some adjunct faculty. And that adjunct faculty member might teach for five institutions, right? They may, that's, that may be what they do. They teach here, 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 and there. Um, so, so engagement, uh, professional development um, and uh, communication become a, a critical. And at Claremont Lincoln University, really believe uh, that those faculty um, are are uh, important to the mission. And so, and a lot of faculty resonate with our mission. There's so we're attracting world class faculty. We have people that are doing amazing, amazing things out there, and uh, it hasn't been an issue. That's interesting. And, and again, you don't have the overhead. Then that's right. You got it. Yeah. Really interesting. Yeah, the, this whole model just starts to make sense, doesn't it? It does. Um, you know, online education is is also you know um, as much as it is important for kids to be in school and be you know there's a social component, a social emotional learning component for for grade school and for college and stuff. Our kids uh, are technological beasts now. I mean, my five year old can operate a, 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 an iPhone like nobody's business right That's now. It's crazy. And, and yeah. so that those kids, those uh, young adults, want technology um, as a as a complement to what they're doing, or to completely supplement something that they're doing. Uh, and so it's important. That, and, and we've seen it move that way. And so, what does an eighteen year old do in the future? Um, maybe they work and go to college online instead of going away for the college experience. We don't know what it's going to look like, but uh, it's changing. Is it different running this kind of the online business, online education versus a traditional university in terms of this, the types of employees you're, you're finding or recruiting? Is it, more of a, is it more of a tech company culture versus a, a typical university culture might be? Yeah, and I think that's, you know, there's always this, um, uh, uh, the yes is the answer to that. Um, you know, you're looking for people that have really um, savvy business knowledge. You can find people from a traditional higher education that have been stifled 
in the traditional sense and sure. are looking to innovate. Uh, so that's really important. But there's a business factor that comes with it. You know, we don't have a, a, a million dollar endowment sitting on the side that we could pull from if we get in trouble one year. It's we can't get in trouble this year. We, we right. need to produce. And so there's a high level of ambiguity. We pilot, we try, we move. Um, you know, higher education in general is bogged down by committees and, you know, these sort of slow practices. And so we try to move very quickly. Interesting. I love it. All right, Dr. Joe Salustio, I need one final question from you. If you were to go back to you as kind of the, the 21, 22 year old graduating from college, getting ready to start off in your career, what word of advice would you give for yourself back then that you know to be true now, but you wish you'd known when you were just kind of getting out into the work world? Whoa, that's, that's a big one. Um, boy, so many things. Um, I, I think the one piece now that I wish I had then is, um, besides maturity, <laughs> uh, besides maturity is to, to say yes to anything and to, um, and, and to anything. I mean, when it comes to professionally and somebody says, can you do this? Can you do that? The answer is good. It has to be yes. And, and sometimes I would say no back then. Yeah, that's not my right. job. Uh, and, and the other, the other side of that is help people and help them without cost, without charging them, you know, help people with your knowledge. If you think you can help somebody do something, whether it's be better on social media, it's, you know, help their business, make those contacts because those contacts stay with you forever. Um, and I've had the same people with me for years and years, but I think that's a really important piece is offer your knowledge to people. Um, particularly in a networking uh, space because those people will pay it forward to you later when you need it. Um, and so that's, those are the two pieces I would say uh, that have, that have moved me along later in life that I wish I knew earlier. Well, you did today as well. So uh, Dr. Joe Salustio, the chief operating officer from Claremont Lincoln university. Thanks very much for sharing with us today on the second command podcast. Really appreciate the time and the ideas. It's been an honor. Thank you. Appreciate it. You've been listening to Second in Command, brought to you by COO Alliance founder, Cameron Harold. If you enjoyed this episode, please be sure to subscribe to us on Himalaya for access to our premium content. For more best practices from industry-leading COOs, visit COOalliance.com.